Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. You may be seated. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm not sure on my message for next week. I may even cover the wealth transfer next week. But I'm still praying about it. But we may get into that next week because we're entering into that season, I believe. Amen. But today, the Lord's giving me specific instructions. We're continuing with our Y series. So this is part three of the Y series. On the last Sunday of this month, we're going to do a Q&A service. And what we're going to do is we've had people submit questions, and you still have time to submit your questions. You can either use the form that we have, or you can email info at FCCGA.com. And we're going to take that a lot of time on that last Sunday of this month, and we're just going to answer questions from the Word of God. And sometimes some of the best messages come from Q&A sessions. So if you have a question that's on your heart about how to live this Christian life practically or biblical teaching, just go ahead and write out the question, and we're going to seek the Holy Ghost and the Word of God, and we'll believe he'll give an answer the last Sunday of this month. Amen? So just do a review as you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've covered in this series the word church. In Matthew chapter 16, the word in our English translations is the word church. Now, it's more of a replacement than an interpretation of the Greek word ecclesia. The word ecclesia means called out ones gathered around a specific purpose. The word church comes from the German word kirch which means the house of the Lord, whether pagan or Christian. So what happens as Christianity became institutionalized after the emperor got saved, as the Constantine made it legal to become Christians, people brought all of their thinking and their theologies and their philosophies into Christianity. And some people made it wanted to be a little bit more respectable than what they were used to. And so as this whole transformation took place in the 400 ADs, Christianity went from being a movement to an institution. It went from being called out ones gathered around for a specific purpose to a house, a building. Because the thing is, if you're just a building, you can be marginalized and culturally irrelevant. But if you're called out for a specific purpose, if you are the ecclesia of God, if God's given each and every one a purpose and he's called us as a universal church to a purpose and a local church to a purpose, you can't be stopped. And so we said the founding purpose in Matthew 16 is as we have been called out and gathered around the foundational truth of Matthew 16, 18 through 20, that Jesus is the anointed son of God. We're founded on that revelational truth, and it says the church, the ecclesia that's founded on that truth, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. A lot of times we think of a picture of hell beating down the gates of the church, and the church at the last day being able to stand strong. Like, whew, thank God we made it. But when's the last time you saw some gates move? It's the exact opposite. It's the church beating down the gates of hell. The gates can't hold the church back. The church rushes in and wins people for the Lord. That is the ecclesia God has called us to be, especially in these days and these times. So that is the universal church. Then as you look through the scriptures, you see the concept of the local church, which we are as Faith Christian Center. 
We at Faith have been called out and gathered around the purpose of making Jesus famous in Atlanta and beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations. We're committed to being a high teaching facility in the Word of God that trains special forces that God can use in these days. That if there's a hard assignment, a big task that seems impossible, God will give it to us because he knows he's trained us in the Word of God and the Spirit of God and he knows we can handle it. We're more than conquerors and we'll make a difference. Amen. We looked in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and it tells us that we, as we see the day of Jesus' return approaching, we should gather more frequently. We should come to church together more often, not just once a month. Amen. Or he says Georgians are a little bit better, so maybe twice a month. Amen. But as often as we see the doors open... We should be coming to hear the word of God, coming to gather together, to hear the word, to fellowship with one another, to receive what the spirit of God is saying. Amen. Amen. Then we looked at Acts chapter 242. We looked at the early ecclesia or the early church. It said they continued in the word. They did life together. They gave and they prayed together. And one of the things we looked at last week, we talked about praying for those in authority, praying for your spiritual leaders and praying more in the spirit. So as we start on new material today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 5, I want to remind you of the central truth when you read and study the Bible. All the Bible is for the church, but not all the Bible is written to the church. There are three groups in the earth that God has dealings with, covenants with, and relationships with. There's the church, there's the Jews, and then there's the nations of the world. You can't be a member of multiple groups. You're either the church, you're a Jew, or you're a nation of the world. And God has covenants with all three. He has dealings with all three. So the thing is, the church does not replace God's covenant with the Jewish people. They still have a covenant. They still have a plan and a purpose. Make sure you don't buy into replacement theology that thinks, well, now that the church is here, God doesn't need Israel anymore. No, Israel still has a purpose. Genesis 12 is still true. Those who bless them shall be blessed. Those who curse them shall be cursed. The Bible is still true. So when we're looking at the Bible, especially the letters, they are written directly to the church. They're written to the ecclesia. They're written to believers. They are written to save people. They're written to redeem people, blood-washed people. How many of you are redeemed and blood-washed? So we know what we're about to read is written to you, not to the world, but to you. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And as the first lady said a few minutes ago, anything God tells you is because he loves you. So everything we read in the word of God, if he tells us to do something or not to do something, it's because he loves us. So Ephesians chapter 5. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. The word follower there also means imitator. So imitate God like little children imitate their parents. Now, the child may not be old enough to shave, but if they see their father shaving, they're trying to do the same thing. The little girl may not be old enough to wear her mom's clothes, but how many know she's going to still try it on? They're imitating what they see. So let's just know as parents, we need to make sure we set the right example. Because the greatest word or sermon they'll ever hear won't come through my mouth, the youth pastor's mouth, or our children's minister's mouth. It will come from the lifestyle you set before them. They will watch you and learn if Jesus is real or Jesus is a joke. All right. Because the thing is, you can come to church, you can shout, you can act spiritual, but they know what happens when he gets to the car. They know what happens when you get home. 
So what message are you preaching to your children about who Jesus is? Now, it's good for you to have a private relationship with God. But when you have kids in the house, you need to let them see you reading the word. You need to let them see you praying. They need to hear you talk in tongues. Why? They're going to do the same thing. They should be able to see you. So you should have your private relationship or reading time. But then you invite the kids to be a part of it at least every once in a while so they can see what they should do. So be imitators of God as still children. And walk in love. Walk in love. Live in love. That is your lifestyle. To walk in love, you got to forgive people. That's why we begin every message and I forgive everybody of everything. Walk in love, you have to bear with one another, which means you have to put up with people. Because how many know somebody has put up with you? You may look all spiritual nice in this room, but how many know there's been some people who have been patient and have put up with you? We all have tendencies that get on somebody else's nerves. Every single one of us. So just because somebody gets on your nerves doesn't mean you should write them off. Walk in love. And some people are good at walking in love in public, but with your spouse. Oh, I'm meddling today. Don't, I'm just starting. I am meddling today. Just know it's coming. They're good with walking in love except when it comes to their spouse or their children. Because sometimes you give people in church or in public, unless you have road rage, the benefit of the doubt. But those in your house, you don't give that same doubt. If there's anybody you walk in love with, it needs to be the people in your house. You need to forgive people. You need to let things go. Some of you have problems in your marriages and those things existed before you got married. Well, their feet stink. It stunk before you got married. Why are you acting brand new? They're always late. They were always late before you got married, but you're just so in love. It didn't matter. That's why you don't rush to get married. That's why you take your time and you go to premarital counseling. And then once you get married, you learn you get a, need to grow up. Stop letting such small things bother you. The toilet paper, wrong direction. The toothpaste, it should be pushed out, not rolled that direction. And people get into fight over the dumbest things. It doesn't matter. Let it go. Because it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. So you have to walk in love and forgive and let stuff go. If you got to sing the Frozen song, sing it. Let it go. Please let it go. Stop carrying stuff for such a long time. Because that's how problems began to evolve. That's how strongholds are set into minds because you think, oh, they do this, they do this, so they don't love me, they don't care about me. That's not the truth. It's just small little things that you're letting your flesh or the enemy amplify in your mind. You have to learn how to let stuff go and to forgive one another, put up with one another. You all have your special days. You all have your crazy days. If you're married, you just got to make a choice. We can't be crazy on the same day. Walk in love towards one another. Come on, wives. Don't be upset just because he forgets stuff. He's been forgetting stuff for a long time now. Just make provisions in it. And fellas, of course he wants to talk. You know this. 
so talk with her. Well, when I get home from the day, I don't know what to say. Well, when you have, because most men, about well, this works for 90% of guys. They come home, wife says, well, how was your day? Fine. Good. Okay. And that's it. Fellas, please help me out. Don't leave me out here. I will come out there. And that is generally true because unless there's something great or traumatic, the day was good. But here's how to help meet the communication need for your wife. If something happens during the day and you think your wife will find it intriguing, just write it down or put it in your phone. <laughs> Y'all laughing, but when you come home, you have some conversation topics to talk about and you're going to meet that conversation need. And if you meet that conversation need, some of your needs will be met. And walk in love. It's like pastoral anointing, I'm meddling today. This is just an introduction. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savor. But, uh-oh, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient. He's saying, don't let speech which is not proper to your lifestyle come out of your mouth. So that includes fearful words. Words of fear, words not of faith. But rather giving of thanks, meaning not complaining and whining. Oh, quiet. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater... Meaning, if you're always coveting after something, you're putting something before God. And that thing is your God. Have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Who is he talking to? The ecclesia, the church, believers, right? Let no man deceive you with vain words, empty words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't Act like them. Don't get their reward. Wrath comes on the children of disobedience, but you're the children of obedience, so act obedient. So let's go back and define some words. That word filthiness there, by the way, means obscenity. Y'all, safe, point, safe po people should not be cussing. Because sometimes you've never been cussed out by a Christian, cussed out really, you've been cussed out by a Christian because they've been saving up for a while. Renew your mind, control your tongue. Spend time preaching, uh, speaking the word and praying in the Holy Ghost. It's going to be hard for you to be praying in the Holy Ghost and let it string out right there. Ephesians 5. So let's start with the word fornication. And Paul said, don't let anyone deceive you about the errors he just named. So first let me define the word fornication. The word for fornication in the Greek is pornea, which means illicit or forbidden sexual intercourse. Illicit or forbidden sexual intercourse. It defines it as adultery, which is sex with someone other than your spouse. Fornication, sex outside of marriage. Homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, incest, rape, and pornography. I can go through the list again. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, 
bestiality, incest, rape, pornography. Those are just some of the things the Bible lists as forbidden sexual intercourse. And verse 7 commands you not to be involved in any fornication. Verse 8, yeah, y'all can get quiet if y'all want to. <laughs> be not ye therefore partakers with them, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Don't do dark things. Walk in the light as he is in the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So if we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, let's go look at it. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Just buckle your seatbelt so it'll be okay. If you look forward, no one knows I'm talking about you. If you can't say amen, you can say oh me or ouch. It's true anyhow. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. We're talking about church stuff, church issues, Christian stuff. He's not talking to the world here. He's talking to you. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. He's comparing about walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. He said, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, the same word pornea we looked at earlier, uncleanness. Now, this is the second time we've seen the word uncleanness, which means impure in thought and in action. Before we go forward, what does the Bible say about uncleanness, about impure in thought and in action? Romans chapter 1, 24, 26, and 27. That God defines a list of things in Romans chapter 1. He gives it the category of uncleanness. And it says, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections, degrading passions. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, that's lesbianism. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, homosexuality, working that which is unseemly or shameful, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet, or receiving their due penalty. So, how does God define uncleanness? He defines it as sexual immorality or illicit or forbidden sexual intercourse. So we go on in Galatians 5. Yeah, we go on in Galatians 5. We see here and in Ephesians 5 how the word uncleanness is closely associated with pornea. And it's in this list and in another instance in the New Testament. And then it says lasciviousness, which means excessive consumption of food or wild, undisciplined living that is especially marked by unbridled sex. Idolatry, we talked about that a moment ago. Witchcraft, now this is sorcery, that includes your tarot cards and your horoscope signs. Ooh, what's your sign? You don't need to be worrying about what your sign is. You serve Jesus, the blood, the cross, the lamb, that's it. But then also, this word witchcraft is the Greek word pharmakia, where we get pharmacy from. It also means drug use. Because the thing is, what they would do in some of the pagan rituals, and they serve the Greek gods or the Roman gods, 
they would fill this pit with these drug substances. And they would take the priestess and they would swing them over the pit and they would get high. And they would come back and prophesy in the name of their God. So drug use is connected to witchcraft. So every time you're going, oh, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of weed. Be careful what you're connected to. There's nothing new under the sun. Just because it's marketed in a different way doesn't mean it's new. There's one of the people I know who's a minister and is now a minister of music and a great blessing in the kingdom of God. He was talking about one of the times when he wasn't living for God that he was on a, uh, this year was one of the top concerts in America to be at. And so he was traveling with them and he would talk about when he would write music for them, they would say, yeah, that's nice, but it's still churchy. But the thing was, he wouldn't do any church chords accompany with it, but they recognized the source, they recognized the anointing. They're telling him, you really don't fit in here, even though he was trying to fit in. And so I would ask him, well, how did this artist get all of their beats? How did they get the music? He said, what they would do is they would drink and get high. And then they would receive, and then they would go to the studio. Sometimes you need to know the source of your music you listen to. Next. Good preaching. You're doing good. <laughs> Hatred. Variance, which means a person who splits and divides. Emulations, that's jealousy. Wrath, strife, seditions, that's disloyalty. Heresies, the word heresy here means click. Forming cliques and excluding others. Then the word drunkenness, which the Greek word is metha. Sound familiar? So yes, you're not supposed to be drinking, smoking weed, and don't do any meth. Your teeth will fall out. <laughs> we can believe God for your deliverance and God will grow you some new teeth, but stay away from meth. That word also means intoxication. And then it said, we saw murders and envyings and then revelings, which is a party spirit, always living for the next party, always living for the next turn up. I saw this quote online that it says, poor people plan for Friday night. Rich people plan for generations after them. We have to look at what are we living for? Are we living for the next party? Because, you know, there's tons of people who come to church, but they were clubbing last night. I'm glad you're in the house of God this morning. Don't get me wrong, but if we're saved, we're called to live a different way. We're called to walk in the light, not get as close to darkness as we can. Which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, that they, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit at work in your recreated spirit. This is what he's put on the inside of you. Say, I have these things on the inside right now. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Y'all know what that word is, right? Patience. Patience. Lots of patience. You can be patient. You're not know to pray for more patience. You got patience. That word in Greek paints the example of a tall candle that's lit, and it takes a long time for it to burn all the way down. 
You have patience. You just need to use it. Long suffering. Gentleness, goodness, faith, or faithfulness. Meekness and temperance against such there is no law. As we're talking about certain things today, meekness and temperance are the answers of what we're looking for. Meekness is the attitude or demeanor of one who is forbearing, patient, slow to anger. It's one who remains in control of himself in the face of insults and injuries. So people could be insulting you, talking about you, but you know how to control your temper. That's not a weak person, that's a strong person. It takes a strong person not to tell somebody else what you think about them. It takes a strong person to control their anger, to control their emotions. It's better as one who can control than temper than one who can take a city. Because how many know if you give in to anger and wrath, you're going to do something stupid that you can try to make up for later. You have to learn how to control your soul, control your emotions. Then the word temperance, which is also the word self-control. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Through meekness and temperance, you can control every emotion and everything that your flesh may want to do. Now, as we're on the subject of pornea, people, would they want to pick that word, and they go, because of the culture and the time we live in, you know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality and lesbianism, so it doesn't matter. Now, number one, Please don't let people who hate God teach you the word of God. The heathen are not anointed to teach you the book. They don't believe the book, so why do you listen to them? Now, the same Holy Ghost who talked through Moses, the same Holy Ghost who talked through Paul, is the same Holy Ghost who worked through Jesus. So they say all these things, well, Jesus never mentioned it, but I found what he did. How many would like to see where Jesus talked about it? Go to Mark chapter 7. Because as Paul says, don't be deceived about these things. And what is sad is so many people who are believers are becoming deceived because of what is popular or politically correct. You can't accept political correctness when it comes to violating the kingdom law. Don't be deceived. Don't be tricked. There's only one can judge, and that's God. Yes, God can judge. Then he handed all judgment to Jesus. And then Jesus said, at the end, my word will judge them. So it's my job to preach the word in love. I ain't trying to convict you. It's not my job to convict you. I can't convict you. But the Holy Ghost who sure up in this place can convict you all day long. It's his job to convict. I'm just telling you this word because I love you. Now, if I didn't love you, I'd just say whatever I wanted to say and hope y'all like me and hope y'all give a lot of money. But I love you enough to tell you the book. Because one day I'll stand before the throne of God and he'll ask me, did you tell my people what I told you to tell them? There is greater judgment for people who stand in the pulpit. I will be held accountable for what I tell you and what I don't tell you. There's a crown for me if I do what God's called me to do, but I will stand before him for my job performance review. And so I have to tell you the whole truth, nothing but the truth. 
So help me God. And please help me God. Mark chapter 7. Verse 20. Jesus gave a parable. And the disciples asked for an interpretation of it. And Jesus said, that which cometh out of the man, that defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries. What is that word? What is that word? The same Greek word, pornea. He's saying out of the heart flows adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, rape, incest, pornography. It's a heart issue. Then he goes on and there's some other things we looked at. Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride. We've been dealing with pride on Wednesday nights. Foolishness. All these what things? What things? Come from within and defile the man. So does this scripture say that homosexuality is evil? Just like pride, just like stealing, whatever you see in that list, Jesus said they are evil and they defile, they corrupt, they mar, they sully the person. I go to Mark chapter 5. Now what people will do, well, just because Jesus said it, he really didn't deal with people like that. Are you sure about that? You think all of a sudden in Jesus' time, there's nobody who struggled with the sins of pornea. That it was only in Moses' time, only in Paul's time, but in the magical time Jesus was alive, nobody dealt with that. So Jesus never ran into people. Are we really that foolish? Do we really believe the teaching of the word so much, teaching of the world so much that we don't believe the teaching of the word? Just because a talk show host tells you it doesn't matter? Just because a politician tells you that you need to change your theology, that Christianity needs to change? Mark chapter 5. Notice, you know, politicians say what's popular because they want your vote. Anywho, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with a what? Oh. Didn't we just look at what God defines as unclean? So you mean this unclean spirit? Because when we look at the Bible, there's many different types of spirits. But this one, whom seems Jesus has dealt with in the ministry, you see him dealing with over and over unclean spirits. So spirits of adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, incest, rape, and pornography. A spirit like that gripped hold of this man. Now, the thing is, how would a spirit grip hold of a person? Remember the word unclean means impure or lewd in thought and in action. It always begins with a thought. It may not even originate from you. The enemy can send thoughts or you can see something and it gives you a thought. But it always starts with a thought. Just like you can't control birds flying above your head, but you can make sure they don't build a nest in your hair. 
If FedEx or UPS shows up with a package, you don't have to sign for it. Just because a thought comes in your head does not mean you have to receive it and think on it. So a thought occurs to this man and he receives it. He thinks about it. Another thought comes. He keeps thinking about it and thinking about it. Eventually, he's saying it. As he's thinking and saying, it's building up what the Bible calls a stronghold in his mind, and it's producing more thoughts. It's now not just reflecting his words. It's reflecting his mentality. Now, he begins doing it. So, now he's in pure thought, words, and in action. And as he keeps on this lifestyle, spirits of hell that align with that begin to accommodate him. And now he is gripped with them. He has no more control. He's now being controlled fully by hell. Notice what happens next. Who had his dwelling among the tombs? And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus far off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said, Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. Notice something you see about unclean spirits in the New Testament in this example and a few others. We see that unclean spirits can enter into people at a young age. It can cause people to lose modesty, drive people to mutilation. They protest loudly, cause more difficulty than other demons, try harder to return than other demons, and can enter into animals. So notice this man running towards Jesus. He's loud. He's possessed. His unnatural strength. His fear has spread through the countryside. He's got remainders of chains holding on to him. He's bleeding because he's been cutting himself. Nothing's new under the sun. He's yelling out. I'm sure he looks crazy. He's got no clothes on. He's running at Jesus. And I'm sure Peter, James, and John, come on, Jesus, get back in the boat. We did not come through the storm for this. Get back in the boat, Jesus. But Jesus is unmoved. All he says is, come out, you unclean spirit. And then it replies. The spirit talks back. You can't deal with me, Jesus. There are too many of us. I'm legion for we are many. So not only did this one unclean spirit grip the man, it opened the door for a house party. You know, some people walk in the room and so many other personalities come with them. So this dude has a whole lot of things with him. But Jesus is not moved by his drama or his trouble. He delivers the man. And then after he's delivered, they said they found a man clothed and in his right mind. 
See, it doesn't matter what condition you come to Jesus. Jesus can take you out of that condition and put you in the position and the condition you always meant to be in. There's nothing too hard for God. With God, all things are possible. So don't believe the lies saying this is how you were born or this is what you are stuck this way. Anything like that discredits the power of God and is a doctrine of the devil. Because God is all-powerful. He is almighty. He can handle anything if you put your trust in him. Jesus is unmoved by the darkness. He's unmoved by how bad the situation looked. So if Jesus is unmoved by darkness, Jesus is unmoved how bad it looked. The church, the ecclesia of the living God should be unmoved by how bad it looks, how dark the world is. Oh, the sinners are sinning. That's what they do. Don't be moved. Walk in the light. Imitate Jesus and deliver people. That's what we're called to do. But we can't go out delivering if we need, the, if we need deliverance. Imitators of God. Imitators of Jesus. Imitators of Jesus' fearlessness. No fear here. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse to carry a care. I refuse to worry. So what the Supreme Court says? So what what goes on in this nation? My God is greater and we're ready for a great awakening and outpouring of the Holy Ghost. It's the best time to be alive. So I'm not worried about a thing. Days of great grace are upon us. Don't let the world back you in a corner. You're the ecclesia of God. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. You are more than conquerors. If you forgot, the back of the book says we win. So don't stress. Don't worry. Just know we win. God's got this. So you just do what he tells you to do. Don't be afraid of anything. Now, to bring some balance to this teaching on unclean spiritual demonology. Just because a person is doing an unclean thing doesn't mean an unclean spirit is present. Remember the works of the flesh and even the lust of the flesh. So people can be doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff and there's no devil. He's like, oh, it was the devil. The devil's like, I can't take credit of it. They bad by themselves. (laughs) Not everything is a devil. Sometimes it'll bring balance because some people go, oh, there's no devil. And then they go, everything's the devil. No, 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 walk the line. And if there is, the Holy Ghost will let you know. Not your suspicion. The Holy Ghost will clearly inform you if there's one. He'll tell you what to do. Now, one of the things I was looking at the notes from, I guess, when I studied this a few years ago. And I wrote it in my digital Bible. Three ways to deal with an unclean spirit. Number one. Reject it. Reject it. Resist the devil and he must flee. Rejection or resisting is sometimes a process. Number two, renew the mind was also a process. You've got to think if you come out of a lifestyle that's against with the word of God, you've been doing things for so long, all your actions and what you do, the places you go is connected to that. So you have to renew your mind. Find out how God wants you to live. And part of the renewing your mind is you have to find a new community to hang out with. Because if you are so much in the world and in sin, you get saved, none of the people you're around are living that lifestyle. So you got to find people who believe what you believe. And on that note, faith people, 
when people come in freshly delivered from whatever, you need to love them, you need to accept them, you need to be patient with them and help them in their process. And not be afraid to be seen with them. They may think I'm da-da-da-da. Just be a faith person. Just imitate Jesus. Love them like Jesus loved them. Walk in wisdom. Follow the leading of the Holy Ghost. And if you don't know what to do, like, you know what? I'll bring you to church and I'll ask the man of God. And if I don't know what to do, I'll ask him and I'll get an answer. That's how we have to do. We can't be afraid of darkness. What's in us is greater than what's in them. We can't be afraid that we get close to them. What's on them may jump on me. How about I get close to them and what's in me and on me jumps on them? There's a reason when Jesus came into cities, demons began to cry out. They knew who he was. They said they sensed him. They smelled him. You know, there's a fragrance of the anointing. When you walk in places, don't be concerned. People start twitching. What's going on? No, they just knew who you were. They know who you are. It's time for us to be the ecclesia of God, not like the seven sons of Sceva that try to cast out a devil, but they didn't know Jesus didn't have authority. So they went into the possessed man and it says, we adjure you by whom Paul preaches the name of Jesus. Come out. The demon replied, oh, I know who Jesus is. And this Paul, I've recently become acquainted with him. But who are you? And it says he beat seven dudes and sent them out naked and bleeding. They had no right to use the name. But you as the Ecclesia of God have right to use the name. We're bringing in Chris Palmer next month. And I like this phrase he told me one time. He says, I want my name to be famous in hell. I want them to know who I am because I know Jesus and I can deliver people. You should be on hell's most wanted list. And the flames just put in that picture. Stay away from them. You get close, they can cast somebody out. You wake up in the morning, feet touch the ground. Oh, they're awake again. Stop being so afraid of the devil. He should be afraid of you. So stop going to watch movies that make you afraid of the devil. None of those movies show someone, a believer walking authority, casting out a devil. If it was true, the movie would be over in two minutes. So stop watching movies that'll make you afraid of casting out devils. It says, believers shall lay hands on the sick. Believers shall cast out devils. Not just preachers. Believers have authority. Believers have dominion. Believers can drive out the enemy. You are a believer. Imitate Jesus. And the only reason Jesus would cast out devils is because the Holy Ghost led them to. And so the thing is, there are plenty of possessed people in the places where you go. But he cast them all out. He followed the Holy Ghost. There's plenty of possessed people in Western civilization. They just don't act like this because they know if they did, it'll get the attention of the community. So they're usually more civilized. Still possessed, but civilized. But the Holy Ghost knows how to deal with them. And the Holy Ghost is greater than any other spirit. All right. One of the things through study and prayer, and just being in the ministry for about 10 years now, I realized there are different reasons why somebody can come to a sexual immoral life or homosexuality and lesbianism, and it's not their fault. There are reasons like that. And number one, I would say generational curses. Now, there are things in family lines, and it's not always the same. There are people, there's ancestry that they were sexually immoral. 
doing different things, whether it was adultery or fornication, doing all these different things, and that spirit, that familiar spirit is what the Bible calls it, gets associated with that family line, and the child who is innocent is born in that family line, and that familiar spirit begins to mess with them at a young age. It's the iniquity of the fathers passed down. So now they weren't born to that, but now they're born fighting a fight they were never called to fight. And it can manifest at an early age. Now the thing is, the Bible says God created them male and female, right? It didn't add four other things in between. There's not six different genders. There's not gender fluidity. There's male and female. So the thing is, if you have a child and they began to do things, if they're male, they began to act like a female or a female, they began to act like a male, don't encourage them. They'll go, oh, they're expressing their identity. No, they're not. Wait a minute. The Bible tells them who they are. And number one, when have children always made the right decision anyways? If you left them up to them, they would eat so much sugar, their teeth would fall out. But we have enough sense to stop them from eating a whole bunch of sugar, or at least we should. At least we should. Why don't we have enough sense to tell them, no, 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 sweetheart, that's not who you are. This is who you are. This is who you'll be because that's what the Bible says. Don't let talk shows raise your child. Don't let popular philosophy raise your child. You raise your child. Don't just let them grow up. You raise them in the word of God. You make sure they're in the house of God. And then they'll grow. And whenever they have challenges, they are equipped to fight them. Next thing. There are people who deal with it because they were molested or sexually abused. Some, they have knowledge of it, and some it happened before they could remember. But whatever was activated in them with no fault of their own causes them to fight harder challenges. Next issue. They were exposed to pornographic material at a young age. Next, the Bible talks about, especially in Paul's letters, that there are some who are called to be spiritual eunuchs which means there are some born into this earth who have no desire to get married. They're not called to get married. They're not even interested. And so what happens if they grow up and they don't have that desire to get married, people go say, oh, well, you must be gay. You must be a lesbian. So why don't you do this? Why don't you talk to that person? Oh, it'll be so great. You know, I can see you two matching up. Why don't you watch this? Does it make you feel something? Wasn't their fault. They didn't know anything like a spiritual eunuch exists, but now someone's renewing their mind in the opposite fashion. Next, peer pressure based on traits and talents. Just because a man is talented in theater or dance and music does not mean he's gay. Just because a man can design things doesn't mean he's gay. If you read the law, there are people who are anointed to design clothes and design buildings, and there were men. Just because a female is good in sports or whatever are considered men things does not mean they're called to be a lesbian. But peer pressure steps in and says, well, you must be this, you must be this. And they say it so often, it renews their mind and they believe it. Now, all five things is not their fault. So you could be in here dealing with any of those five things and it's not your fault, but you still have a choice. You could have been born into a fight that was not yours to fight and you are struggling today, but you still have a choice. You are not stuck that way. You do not have to stay in sin. Jesus is greater and he loves you. And he loves you so much he doesn't want to leave you in the place that you're in. 
It may not be your fault, but you still have a choice. So go to 1 Corinthians 5. I'm coming down the home stretch. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. First Corinthians chapter five. So Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, read him writing to the church in Galatia. Now we'll read him writing to the church of Corinth. If I ever do a series teaching on the church at Corinth, I would call First Corinthians church gone wild. Because they really did go buck wild. The word Corinthian in that day was that if you really turned up on a Friday night, they would say you were really Corinthian that night. <laughs> this is Las Vegas 3.0. But what was in the world began to get into the church. But notice what Paul said in chapter 5, verse 1. It is reported commonly, not every once in a while, not a few rumors, commonly, that there is fornication, pornea among you, and such pornea as it is not so much as named among the Gentiles. Y'all sin worse than the world. There's more, there you do different types of pornea, heathens don't even do it. Notice what it says next. That one should have his father's wife, and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. So he said, you guys have pride that someone like that is in your church. He's like, well, shouldn't you think about pornea a different way? So go to chapter 6. Let's look at verse 13. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both and them. Now the body is not for pornea, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his own power. Know ye now that your bodies are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. You are joined to the Lord. Flee, pornea. Flee. Not get as close as you can without sinning. Not go, well, if I do this, I'm not sinning yet, so let me get as close as I can. No, no, no. It doesn't even say rebuke pornea. It doesn't say confess about pornea. It says run in the opposite direction. As fast as you can, flee pornea. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits pornea sins against his own body. Like Romans said, they receive due penalty in themselves. Proverbs talks about how their flesh will be corrupted because of sins of pornea. What? Am I really covering this again? Did you not know this? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. You are holy ground. Who is in you, who you have of God, and you are not your own. So don't make decisions about what you do with your body saying, well, it's my body. No, no, no. If you are a believer, you belong to Jesus. Yeah. You are holy ground. So don't go say, well, a little pornea is okay. No, 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 no. You belong to Jesus. You are holy. The Holy Ghost is in you. So don't do these things. For you are bought with a price. 
the price of the precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's why we call our youth ministry 620. The whole purpose of 620 in the statement here is to make God famous in your life. That's what glorify means. Bring him honor. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me. One of the reasons Paul is writing a letter is because they wrote him some questions. But it took Paul six whole chapters to deal with drama before he said, here's what you want to know about. Now, you, wanted, you had some questions, but the Holy Ghost wanted you to hear this first. So here's six whole chapters getting this mess out of the way so I can address what you have to say. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, this is not what Paul said. This is what they wrote him. And all the craziness and the confusion, they wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, meaning Paul said, you are absolutely crazy. To avoid pornea, let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. Husband and wife, wife, husband. Not husband, husband, wife, wife, or confused and confused. My brother's a senior in college, and he was talking about different organizations on campus. And, you know, he was adding all these extra things into a list of titles. And I said, what does that word mean? This and that. I said, no, confused. What is that word? Confused. No, no. Just call the club confusion because each and every one is a different form of confusion. And remember, wherever Satan goes, there's confusion and strife in every evil work. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. I heard one amen. Likewise, also the wife unto the husband. The wife have not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise, also the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your lack of self-control. This is what he's saying here. Husbands, you have a duty to your wife. I only got two guy amens. Let me try this again. <laughs> husbands, you have a duty to your wife. Amen. And wives, you have a duty to your husbands. Amen. But the problem in the church is the single people are having sex and the married people ain't getting any. <laughs> Come on now. So you married people that are not having an active sex life, here's the word of the Lord. Go home and do it. Bible. Bible. One of the things Paul's addressing is that you are not too spiritual not to have sex. He's telling that sex is supposed to be in marriage. You're not called to be roommates. All right. Marriage conference forthcoming. Praise the Lord. Then Paul goes for it, and he starts giving advice towards single people. Why? Paul is single. Now, Paul is an example of a successful single Christian. Some people are under the false notion that you have to be married to complete or be filled complete or be whole or make a difference for God. Paul's resume includes writing two-thirds of the New Testament, founding churches all over the world, being used greatly by God, and he was single. So you don't have to wait to fulfill your call until you get married. Follow the Holy Ghost now. He can use you now. So he goes on, and then he says, 
First nine that everybody likes to misquote. But if they cannot contain or they can't control themselves, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. Now let's, let me do this example with my props on the stage. He compares sexual passion to fire. Now fire is good. Fire is purifying. It's warming. Sex is good. Why are y'all so nervous in the house of God? If anybody else said it, y'all be like, yes, preach. Some of y'all been taking laps. But he compares it to fire. See, passion needs parameters to serve its intended purpose. Passion needs parameters to serve its intended purpose. If you take the passion outside of its parameters, there will be destruction. Sex needs the parameters of marriage to serve its purpose. Fire in a fireplace or at a bonfire is warming. But when it starts getting in the woods of California, there's mass destruction. You must keep passion in its parameters. So every person has some type of passion burning on the inside of them. Everybody has them. But what happens is we begin to build fires in the wrong place. So while this passion should be reserved for your spouse, you begin to fuel it and build the wrong fire. Like 2 Peter 2, 1, 2, 14 says, having eyes full of adultery and cannot cease from sin. So what happens is you build a fire in an unsafe place. How many of you agree this is not the place to build a fire? Amen. Amen. Well, some of y'all want me to build a fire today? No, no, no. Okay. The youth pastor agrees that this is not the place to build a fire. You should see the director of administration's face. He's like, please do not build a fire today. I know we've got good insurance, but please, please don't try it out today. So this is not the correct place to build a fire. Amen. But people do it all the time. And so they build a fire, and then they began to add fuel to the fire. And so they began to watch the wrong things, do the wrong things, have the wrong conversations, be with the wrong people, and they get infatuated with things they should never been infatuated with. Do you know what infatuation in Latin is? False fire. So they begin to build false fires. Read things they shouldn't read. Watch things they shouldn't watch. Magazines they have no business looking at. Websites. Ashley Madison. Emails. Text messages. Good kindling. And as they keep continuing in that lifestyle, they just add fuel to the fire. And they think when they get married... That marriage can contain that fire. But you've built it in the wrong place. And that fire will destroy your marriage and others. Because the passion is outside its parameters. So you're building a fire. Building a fire. And the thing is, Satan doesn't play it fair, so he'll start early. 
So you could be 10, 11, or 12, or in middle school or high school. Y'all paying attention to me back there. And you begin to see some image on the computer or on your phone. He began watching porn at a young age. So this little boy is growing up watching porn. And it's shaping his reality of what beauty is. Not understanding that's not real. That's fake. That's digitized. That's airbrushed. That's image. And so now his mindset is set on what true beauty is. And he gets married thinking his wife's going to look like that and do all those things which is acting and false. And now he's upset and unsatisfied in his marriage because the fire he has built cannot be contained but you can also have emotional passion see there's some books that may not be pornographic but what it does to your mind is the same effect with the guys ladies and so some of you are believing for spouses but you watch bachelor and other shows all the time and you expect that person to show up like that. They may show up in a Honda, a nice car, but they're not gonna show up with a limo and take you out and give you a few roses. You're watching somebody take someone on a date on a network budget. And you expect somebody to show up with a network budget. That would be great if they do, but most dudes don't have a network budget. And so you're expecting all these things and you're building a fire on the inside. That when you get married because you never tempered it and you still watch the wrong things, listen to the wrong conversations, call the girlfriends that say, oh yeah, they ain't doing that right. I would do this. I would do that. Yep, I would get that Ashley Madison account. Oh, I would try this. I will do that. Listening to the wrong people, building a fire, feeling that fire, and then your husband does an innocent little thing and you blow up at him and you think, see, that's why I should have married you in the first place. So-and-so was right. Now your passion outside the parameters begins to lead you into trouble and others as well. Passion outside its parameters. Building dangerous fires. And see, the thing is, it doesn't take much to cause destruction. Come on, y'all know if I lit this right here, y'all would be out the door in a hot second y'all would not throw up a baptist finger some of you have never seen run before oh time to go Woo, cardio today and so some of us well what is the solution so i call this the ice bucket of shame and i thought about using an example calling a single person up here how many of you burning with passion and then we have our own ice bucket challenge but i didn't think that would work out right But what we do and some ministries do, we try to shame people thinking that this ice bucket of shame will put out the fire. But if you know about fires, even if you douse it, there's still embers. And how many of you have ever been shamed and you were always concerned about it and it worked a couple of days, but that fire came back. The only way to deal with a fire out of place is to repent and come to Jesus because he can deal with all of your misplaced fires he can heal and deliver you and then once he does don't feed it anymore let the passion be kept in its parameters so it may fulfill its purpose Go back to Ephesians 5 and we'll close here. Ephesians 5 and verse 
You know, I made the staff nervous when I started bringing all these props up. They're like, uh, what's in that container? I said, ah, there's nothing in there. I might just put water in it. Ephesians 5. Verse 11. And have no fellowship, no partnership with the unfruitful works of darkness. We already looked at them. But rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. Even all the stuff you've hidden is going to come to light one day. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then as you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise. See that you pay attention how you live every single area of your life. Not let one area go unnoticed. Redeeming the time because the days of evil. That word means take advantage of every single opportunity. But if you do the unfruitful works of darkness, you won't take advantage of every opportunity. You will miss great opportunities God has for you. But then it goes on. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So this is still talking about taking out every advantage, walking in the light. And be not drunk with wine. Y'all thought I was done with that earlier, huh? Wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. People are like, well, it says be not drunk with wine, so I can take a sip every once in a while. How many of you got a meter that goes, I know exactly what point I'm going to get drunk? No, that's just foolishness. That's still getting as close as you can to sin. Here's what Proverbs says about wine and alcohol. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So the Bible says every time you're taking a sip, every time you're throwing one back, you are acting like a fool. Not me, the book. I'm just a glorified messenger boy. Proverbs 31, verse 4. It is not for kings, oh, let me well. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish or die, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. The Bible says we are kings and priests, that we are a royal priesthood. You are royalty. And because you are royalty, alcohol is not for you. You are rich in Christ Jesus. You're enriched in everything. So alcohol is not for you. That's not who you are. And then it says, give it to the ones who are ready to die. Y'all ain't ready to die. So you got to think every time you want to get, you know, what's a popular drink out there? See, y'all smart. No one answered. Good job. Good job. Good job. Yes. And so, as I close, every time you take a sip, the Bible says you're acting like a fool. You're saying you're ready to die. You're saying you're a pauper, not a prince, and that you belong in poverty. Do you really want to say that just to get a little buzz? And if Paul compares it to the Holy Spirit, all alcohol is a cheap substitute of the, for the work of the Holy Ghost in your life. You don't have to drink to get out of depression. The Holy Ghost can get you out and keep you out. 
the joy of the Lord is your strength. One of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. You don't need to drink. It's like, well, I need to drink just to loosen up. Are you really that boring that you have to need alcohol to liven up? Oh, I just need a little bit of courage. That's why you got the Holy Ghost. In him, you can do all things. There's boldness on the inside. By his spirit, you can do all things. You can run through a troop. You can leap over a wall. There's nothing you can't do. So don't settle for the world's alternatives. Just because it seems easy for a moment, there's always a price for the wages of sin is death. So walk in love. Walk in light. Walk circumspectly. And take advantage of every opportunity. We are the ecclesia, the called out ones, centered around Jesus is the anointed son of God. What does the anointing do? Removes burdens, destroys yokes. So it doesn't matter if you're burdened or yoked, alcohol, weed, meth, any type of drug, any type of illicit sexual intercourse, whatever it is. Jesus is anointed to set you free today. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Also, if you want to support the ministry financially, you can go to FCCGA.com and follow the directions there. Have an amazing day.